Hello, friends. Welcome to Girl Empowered, a podcast with Ophelia's Plays designed to inspire, educate, and empower you and the girls in your life. I'm your host, River Allen. Happy Pride, everyone. Right, June, it's Pride Month, which is celebrated all over the world and a great opportunity for all of us here to just celebrate all the different ways that we love each other, form families and meaningful relationships and can stand in our own truth and celebrate who we really are. And that is something that all of us, I think, can get behind. So I'm really excited today that we'll be able to speak with Jordan and Anna. Or two of our therapists at Ophelia's Place who run a group called Queer Space, which is a really fantastic group for young people to come and be together, get support, make friends, uh, explore their identity with the support of some really knowledgeable staff and form good connections and just basically feel comfortable being who they are. For those of us who may remember the 70s, <clears throat> the free to be you and me is a great theme for how we think about how we want our young people to be able to experience their lives fully. And that includes their identities and their partnerships and all of the things about how they connect with others. So Pride is a wonderful opportunity to carve out a little time in our busy year and just uh, reflect on how far we've come and how far we have still to go to include all members of our society in feeling welcome, safe, and a sense of belonging. For young people, this shows up, I think, in probably its most intense form. A lot of us remember being teens. We remember uh, all the struggles of figuring out who we are. And that includes who we're attracted to, who we're romantically interested in, um, if we're romantically interested in anyone, and all of those things that co-occur with developing bodies and minds. So, of course working with queens and teens, we really think about how do we as adults provide that safety for them to explore, for them to question, uh, and for them to have safe people to talk about all of these feelings with, right? So I'm really excited that our wonderful fellow staff at Ophelia's Place will share a little bit about that group. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about ways that you can support the young person in your life as they're going through these kind of incredible and overwhelming transitions that occur at this time of life. And maybe we'll even talk about some great options for representation in terms of fun shows to watch, things like that. So we're just going to get into it a little bit more about how we all can contribute to supporting young people in our lives, particularly as they are exploring their sexuality, their sexual orientation, and who they are in their lives. Okay, so to kick things off, let's meet Jordan and Anna. I'm Anna Lee. My pronouns are she and they, and I am a therapist at OP. I work directly with youth and co-facilitate the Queer Space Group. My name is Jordan Hostat. My pronouns are she, her. I'm also a therapist at Ophelia's Place, co-facilitate the Queer Space Group. And I've been here a little bit uh, less than Anna. I've had the opportunity to learn a lot from Anna. Thanks for all that you're doing with the young people to support and empower them. Uh, so, of course, it's it's June, it's Pride Month, and it seemed like a great opportunity to sort of dig into why it's important to celebrate Pride. What is Pride? Why are we celebrating it? You know, what's the value? Um, so I thought I'd see what, what you all have to say about that. Pride is not actually something that I was able to celebrate until I was an adult. Um, Anna and I, I don't know if you're comfortable with me sharing, we both came mm -hmm. out a lot later in life mm -hmm. and um, some of our youths. 
So um, it's only been within, you know, my adult life that that's something I've been able to celebrate. So it's exciting to get to have these opportunities to just be visible by themselves, which is a neat aspect of pride. But there's so much deeper history to the importance of pride that really goes back to so much activism, specifically of um, Black trans women. That is a huge, huge part of pride that I think sometimes doesn't get acknowledged as much. So I think pride itself is important just to have that representation. And there's so many other things that we could emphasize. We, a lot of the times, see on social media how Pride Month in June is parades and rainbows and um, just lots of fun stuff. And it is a lot of fun stuff because it is a celebration, but it is really important to honor that history of where, where we've come from and those that have fought for our rights um, as queer people in the world. And then also just really leaning into that acceptance of who you are as a person, as far as your gender identity, your sexuality, and who you just want to be in the world. And it's a really awesome opportunity for validation within the community and even outside of the community. And I think it's a really awesome opportunity to invite those that may not be part of the community as allies and to kind of loop them in with the celebration part and then kind of impart that wisdom of where we've come from. I love that. I think that's a great kind of dual purpose in a way, you know, on the one hand, a space for people who may have experienced marginalization in other places from families or friends and throughout history uh, to have a place to really celebrate being who you are and affirming your, your validity and right to be in the world. And then that piece you said about also, um, you know, non-queer folks having a, a way to learn a little bit and connect and build some bridges over, you know, what we perceive as differences. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of common humanity there, but it has to be done within a context of that historical background that that people have experienced for a long time. And I just think about, you know, you know, being my age, I'm in my forties. So (laughs) I remember, you know, growing up that nobody was out, um, certainly not in high school. And, uh, you know, we went through the AIDS crisis and then, um, and learning about some of our, our amazing people, you know, everyone from Stonewall to Harvey Milk to, you know, just many, many people throughout his queer history that have added to society as a whole. So when you think about it in that way, pride takes on kind of a, I think, a more nuanced and exciting meaning. What do you hope that young people and families will understand about pride, whether they're, you know, queer families, straight families, mixed, just what are you hoping that um, that they kind of get out of this experience of celebration and, and recognizing LGBTQI, like presence, validity, et cetera? I think about exposure and normalization. And if you think about families showing up to Pride events, I think that that is so imperative. It's so important for families to normalize that there are different identities in the world that some may not know about. I didn't know about them when I was younger, uh, coming from a very religious home. We talked about homosexuality, and as you can imagine, it wasn't a positive thing at all. So um, for parents to kind of normalize this with their kids, to show them outside, if even their own home, if none of parents have a queer identity, that these people exist, and it's okay to exist, and this is community. And even though we may not hold this identity, we can still be supportive, and we can be allies 
then we can advocate for queer people's rights. And I think that the earlier you introduce this to children, the less likely you're going to have that um, taught homophobia, that queer phobia, where this is not my parents say this is bad and they're going to school and maybe casting some judgments that we've seen in young kids. They really don't discriminate against same-sex couples and, and people that represent themselves unless it's taught. It's a learned behavior. That's a really great point. And I think it, it applies in, in many ways when we start talking about the ways that we hold um, different identities and, and that the more that we expose young people to just all different kinds of people and just normalize that the human family is very diverse in many different ways. And then they don't have to have anxiety about how to navigate it. They don't have to have anxiety about discovering who they are, you know, because they can see that it's a, the rich tapestry, right? There's, there's a lot going on in what it means to be human. Um, And I think that's a really great point of just normalizing and, and celebrating. And especially, you know, we don't ask um, straight people, you know, to lead with their, sexual orientation or um or to explain or define or or defend it right so the more we can just kind of say this is these are all the ways that we get to show up and they're all okay it's really important Mm -hmm. and i think especially for young people um so you both facilitate a really popular group called queer space at ophelia's place i believe it all got started the very first spring kind of like winter spring term of COVID when COVID hit. So it would be what about March, 2020 was when we all kind of got sent home and we were all doing everything from home and working from home. And then kids were transitioning to online learning. And I was in supervision with my supervisor and just thinking about all those queer kiddos that were for lack of a better word, they were kind of trapped at home. And sometimes home isn't the most supportive place for some of those identities. Maybe that child isn't out yet. Maybe they're still struggling. Maybe all of their queer support was at school and from teachers or from the GSA. Mm. Um, And then maybe it was from their peers that they all of a sudden lost contact with. So I was really thinking about how isolated they were at home and was wanting to reach them and build some sort of an online community where they could connect with each other and they could get some uh, connection with some supportive adults that understood their identities and their queerness. And from there, it just kind of started out as this uh, fun group where we were hanging out with some queer kids for an hour on Mondays and just talking about what it's like to be queer in the world and how it was impacting them during COVID because it looked a little bit different. Um, And just normalizing that uh, identities can shift and change as we grow as humans and um, that that was a space to maybe explore some of that and talk to their peers about it and start building their queer community outside of kind of that school range. We've done two versions of the group. Uh, We have the drop-in style that we've done um, during times where like attendance might be hard. So like school transition time to like starting of the year or ending of the year or over the summer. And that's a non-attendance mandatory um, one, which has been really popular. People come as they're available. Um, some people come every week. <laughs> some people have popped in one or two times, just depending on their schedule. Um, and then we have another format that is what's called a closed group, which uses a curriculum where attendance is required because information builds week to week, which was also really popular. 
And we actually even did within a school setting um, with some older queer kiddos. And um, that was just absolutely too fun. Can you tell me a little bit about that curriculum? Maybe just some of the general topics or or things that you talk about? For sure. Um, We always talk about coming out. Um, We talk about queer history. We talk about depression and anxiety, which are extremely common in the queer community. And in that we touch on suicidality. Um, We talk about uh, gender affirmation and just different sort of gender exploration. And then we always end with some really fun um, just group affirmations where the kiddos get to tell each other all these wonderful things that they've noticed um, about their other group members over the last few weeks. Um, and I know I'm forgetting some topics. Queer phobia, definitely. Right. We, we do talk um, a good amount of time about that because unfortunately that is a thing that every queer person experiences at some point in their life. And so that, that conversation can be really powerful for the kiddos to hear that other kids have had the exact same struggle with a relative or a friend saying something that was a bit phobic and didn't land and just feeling really isolated about that and getting that kind of validation. What kinds of things do you do to help empower youth have a way to talk about their experience with peers? Because I think about that, you know, a lot in terms of they may not have the safety or the space to necessarily push back against adults in their lives. That might not be the best, but you know, do you talk a little bit about like, how do you communicate about this with your non-queer peers, you know, or, or is that a topic that doesn't come up much? I mean, I feel like it comes up. I think the interesting thing about kiddos is that they, they tend to be more communicative with each other just in general. So like typically what, at least what I remember is that when the topics come up around peers, it generally is a story where they're telling like, oh, my friend said this. And then I explain, you mm. know, like, you know, that makes me uncomfortable or that's actually queer phobic. Um, so it seems like at least the kiddos that I'm recalling um, tend to just push back in general a little bit more than I think I would have at that age, to be honest. Uh, what about you, Anna? I would agree. I would say that the kiddos sharing about some phobia within their family members, that's where it gets a little bit more where they feel uh, too intimidated or like they, their power dynamic, they just can't kind of advocate for themselves. Right. Especially when it comes to maybe some family members that are in much older generations um, and not as used to this topic, you know, the normalization of it and everything. So that is where it gets a little bit more tricky. Um, And I think one of the things that we just really try to do is normalize that it's different for every individual queer person and what their comfort level is as far as advocating for themselves and kind of recognizing that safety that they feel within their family to do so, or maybe not, like maybe it's not safe to confront a family member about that. but they know that they can like affirm it within themselves, that that wasn't okay. They can bring it to group. They can share it. They can get support from their peers and us and just be seen in that, in that moment. And that's so, so important. I feel like that's a huge piece of, you know, why in general we seek supportive groups, you know, whether they're formal or informal to find that community and that sense of, I need to just process some of what I'm feeling good, bad, and indifferent with people who will understand. 
And that that's yeah. such an important piece. What about, do you hear stories about parents that are supportive? Like what are maybe some of the themes that come, come out of that? When we do talk about coming out and kiddos share about uh, maybe one particular person they came out to, or they came out to their family, when they have positive experiences of, oh yeah, my parents both were so supportive. It's amazing. It touches our hearts and it spreads throughout all of the kids in the group. And at the same time, we also do like to normalize that it, it can be really awesome when you come out and it can also be the opposite and it can be really hard. Um, but I think that kind of focusing on those, those highlights about how supportive family can be, we try to lean into that quite a bit. And, um, regardless of how their parents have responded, we just try to support them in in their experience and maybe even ask like, what was, what was their response that you appreciated or what do you wish they would have responded with? That's great. And it's a really important thing that I, that I hope adults will start to think about too. Um, I know over the years working with girls, uh, you know, sometimes the conversations I'd have with them would be about that very thing of like, I'm anxious about coming out, even in what they would have described as fairly accepting families, which I think speaks a bit to the kind of larger work that still is needing to be done at a cultural level around acceptance. Because even if in a fairly progressive town like ours with parents who have raised their kids to be open-minded and said they're accepted. There's still this anxiety and worry that can come up with young people about, you know, am I going to disappoint my parents or are they going to be, you know, not as happy with me, you know, even in parents that, you know, in families that feel really safe otherwise. One of the issues that um, happens in um, more progressive communities when we're talking about like coming out, one, I want to say no one is ever required to come out. Right. Coming out is not a universal experience for all queer people. Um, I, I is though when people do choose to come out, there sometimes can be an, the anxiety about how people will respond based on their own knowledge. Like I think a lot of, especially the older generations, are very familiar with like quote unquote traditional queer identities, like gay or lesbian. And I think some of the more um, erased identities, like bi or pan or ace or arrow, they don't have necessarily the adults that they might be coming out to don't have the background knowledge to necessarily know what those are. So when people react with fusion or people react in this sort of like neutral and negative way, it doesn't really feel good because what you're, what you're trying to do is express a part of your identity that you hope would be accepted. And sometimes there's just that full lack of knowledge to the person that you're trying to express it to that kind of negates that because then you're spending, I don't know, half an hour explaining what it means to be ace. And then that kind of takes the wind out of your sails. Mm, yeah. So that kind of dynamic of, you know, there will always be new and evolving information and, and no one can be completely on top of all of it. Uh, certainly parents who are juggling all the things of being parents and their yeah. own lives. Um, and also how do we, you know, help that feel like a positive experience and not one where you're like, oh, drat, now I have to <laughs> tell you this and, um, and hope that you accept it. What keeps the group fun? Like, why do you think they keep coming back? I think that just getting to be in a space where they know explicitly everyone in this group on this Zoom screen is queer. That itself is a huge draw for a mm -hmm. lot of kids. When we do our screens with the kids before they get invited officially to the group, um, we ask, like, what, how'd you hear about us? And, and what are you hoping to get out of the group? What do you like? 
coming in with as far as expectations? Why is this group important to you? And I'd say the number one answer we get, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan, is I just want a space where there are other kids around my age that hold similar identities, aka something in the queer realm. It doesn't have to be the exact same identity, but that would be super cool. And just being able to connect and and build relationships. That makes total sense to me because I hear that all the time from the youth who come to Ophelia's place in general, how important it is for them to have a a girl or girl identifying a girl adjacent identity, Um, having that safety and that like a lot of them would tell me in orientation, like that is why I want to be here. I need something that makes me feel like people will maybe relate or we have some piece of shared experience that we can connect through that helps me feel safe and welcome. And then to have queer space be an additional kind of finer level of you know, identity that they can feel safe within. It just makes sense to me. That sounds like a really, a really nurturing and kind of beautiful thing that you get to invite them into. So what do you hope that participants kind of take away from being in the group? So some may come regularly and that's a big part of maybe their social connection, but some might, might come for a while and, and have a great experience and leave. And eventually, of course, uh, our youth will age out. So what do you kind of hope that they get from being in the group? I think what I hope they get out of the group is just being seen, like having those identities, not only recognized and acknowledged, but fully embraced. Um, and I think that that can be really powerful, especially at such a young age where um, I think just there are so many places in life where we don't get that full affirmation. And I would hope that this is a place where our kiddos do. Um, and friends, man, I don't know how many of our kiddos have the same interests. And at one point they all made a Minecraft server together, like just leaving with some friends. For me, my hope is that they, they leave the group with a confidence about their identities and the belief that they do know who they are and they are the best person to share who they are. Because I think a lot of the time This world is so adult-centered that youth voices can get so drowned out and adults in their lives can say, well, you're way too young to know that about yourself. This is just a phase. And we can invalidate a lot of their experiences and identities because they're younger. And we assume that, you know, well, that's a big thing. I wasn't thinking about that when I was their age, but it's a different time now. And it's a different world and it, it, they do know what's going on and they do know what they feel. And I think that if adults could listen and invite the youth to have these conversations with them and even just begin pondering what these things might mean for them and how they identify, I think we could have some really awesome openness with everybody. And these kids would be so secure in who they are in the world, which would be amazing. You know, one thing I think about is um, when we talk about adultism, right? So the system of control or the system of oppression that we as a society kind of use against young people, not consciously, but it is embedded in society. And we do a lot of training and work with folks around that. Um, but, but one of the things that would come up is on any number of topics, uh, this idea of like, you're too young or you don't know. And one of the things I've even said in working with parents is, Actually, it doesn't even matter if it's a phase. That doesn't mean it is not important to them. It doesn't mean it's not valid. We get to change throughout our whole lives. And somehow when adults 
change a part of themselves or evolve into a new part of themselves, we don't really question it. But mm-hmm. when young people do, we have this judgment, we have this dismissal and reduction of their experience, which you just alluded to. So, you know, when sometimes when parents were struggling and I would, I remember saying like, you need to love your child as they are and let them grow into who they are. It is not necessarily, it's not really our job to start policing, like, you know, where they're at or what they'll ultimately be. We need to just be there with them and let them grow into who they are. And I think that's so important, like you said, just to create that loving space, right? Mm-hmm. That they know their lives, they know their feelings, they know their experiences, and and we can help them feel really secure. I thought that was a beautiful way to put it. That let them be secure in who they are. Any last things either of you want to say just about pride, about the group, about um, the work you're doing? Anything? I think my number one thing for any uh, queer person or any allies is if you have questions, Google it. Man, the internet is so full of information. Um, you do not have to ask the queer people in your life to explain things to you. The internet is full of that information already. And, you know, if you're going to engage in pride or uh, buy pride, anything, try to make sure that you're looking at where you're purchasing stuff from. Rainbow capitalism has become a huge issue mm. in the last like decade. Um, so that's companies uh, putting rainbows on their stuff, but without actually doing any of the work to support the queer community. So, you know, do some research, maybe buy from queer people directly if you want to do that. And then um, come to Queer Space Group if you're interested. (laughs) We're starting a parents' queer space group. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the parents' queer space group, we are starting our first run of it. So it's our pilot this summer. Um, It'll start July 12th and go through the end of August. And we will meet every Monday for an hour from 530 to 630. And it's really just a group where we are hoping to have parents of OP queer youth come and come with an open mind and an open heart and just want to learn some things from some queer people that want to teach and then also build their own community around being caregivers of uh, queer youth. Because as much as queer people need community, those parents also need community. It's not easy raising a queer kiddo, especially if you don't have much experience or the knowledge of the identities. So we felt really strongly that we could provide a group where parents could come, ask their questions, that, and they don't have to worry about offending their child or putting that education on them. They can ask us. We can cater you know, our curriculum to things that they're interested in, even as much as like sex ed. So sex ed could be different when you have a queer kiddo that maybe has a different uh, sexual orientation. You might not know how to talk to your child about that. So that's something that we could talk about, and give them information on that. That's awesome. What a neat opportunity to be able to extend further out in kind of our reach and into our community through parents and guardians, allowing them that space. I think that's really powerful. And as you said, so important for them to have community with each other, because we know most parents want to raise healthy, happy kids. That is the goal. And a lot of parents are very nervous. We like, you know, all of us will say like, there's no manual on parenting, right? (laughs) So when you come together and have a way to share those um, concerns and get information and also share tips about what's worked. Um, I think that's really powerful at just creating a, a stronger familial bond and more safety for the kids that we're all here for. So thank you for doing that good work. That's really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, and then finally, just how can a young person or a parent get involved with these groups? 
um, you can contact Ophelia's Place directly, and then you can get in contact with us through um, our main site. You can contact Anna or I directly through our emails if you have any questions. Mine is Jordan, J-O-R-D-Y-N at Ophelia'sPlace.net. And Anna's is Anna, A-N-A at Ophelia'sPlace.net. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to get in contact with us. I love that. Is there a screening process? Do kids just register and sign up? How does that work? Yes. So um, as soon as we find out that there's interest, we either call or email and we try to schedule a screening time where we can kind of go through our questionnaire, ask some kind of safety questions and make sure that they're going to be a good fit for the group and the group's going to be a good fit for them. Uh, It's maybe about 15 to 20 minutes long. So we usually like to schedule at least a 30 minute. Uh, If kiddos are under 14, they must have a parent with them for that. And they must sign an informed consent on behalf of the minor. And then if they're 14 and older, they can consent to their own being in the therapy group as far as that goes. We do like to have parents involved, uh, informed consent wise, if possible. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And so for listeners, 541-284-4333 is our number. Um, And as you heard, Jordan, J-O-R-D-Y-N at Ophelia'sPlace.net or Anna, A-N-A at Ophelia'sPlace.net. So yeah, reach out to us. We'd love to get you involved or your kids involved and happy to answer any questions about the group. And thank you both so much for participating, for joining me to talk a little bit more about this awesome work that you're up to and all the amazing kiddos that you get to interact with um, and supporting them in the way that you do. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Now that we've heard about the wonderful group Queer Space and some of the insights from Jordan and Anna, I wanted to take a little bit of time and just frame maybe for our listeners um, what's kind of going on with adolescents during this time of life and then talk about some ways that we as um, adults in their lives can really support them. Maybe even provide an opportunity for you to connect with the youth in your life, a girl in your life, and um, talk about some of these topics and see what she has to say, um, what she has to share with you. We've said it before, the importance of a safe, positive and affirming place, uh, safe and affirming relationship cannot be overstated. You know, even for kids that have grown up with pretty stable and and safe homes, um, there's still a lot of information coming from culture that communicates some really harmful messages, right? About girls and children's bodies, about their autonomy, their worth, and certainly about their sexuality. So we need to create oases from those messages and create some opportunities for developing a positive, self-loving and healthy attitude towards their bodies, their gender, their sexuality. So it's really important that all of us model positive attitudes towards our own bodies through our speech and actions. And this kind of can't be overstated, much like safety. You can't create a safe space for young people to um, discover their bodies and to discover a way to feel confident and healthy and whole in their bodies if they're surrounded by adults who are talking negatively about their own bodies. So this is a real basic premise of Ophelia's Place and the work we do is really just having that body acceptance, body respect, and modeling that in the ways that we talk to ourselves, about ourselves, and certainly with folks around us. We, of course, want to include and welcome all expressions of sexual orientation and gender. It's kind of a 
infinite myriad, a, a long spectrum of ways that we get to show up. You know, we can be more gender nonconforming uh, in terms of challenging some of those stereotypes about what boy or girl looks like. We have you know, young people and adults exploring kind of identities in between, which we're now calling non-binary. Um, and of course, all the ways that we form romantic attachment uh, with others and form families. So the more that we just express that openness and acceptance and welcome of human diversity, the better. We want to also invite opportunities to talk about things like media representation, sexism, and what healthy consensual relationships actually look like. So in addition to modeling, having those open conversations or being willing to answer questions, as always, whenever, you know, uh, we're thinking about it, if we don't know the answer, you know, find someone who does look it up, consult. It's okay not to know everything and it's okay to show that you don't know everything. Just let's not dismiss it. If it's something that a young person brings to us and says, you know, I think this might be who I am or a part of my identity and we don't know what that is. It's okay to say, gosh, I don't really know about that. You know, what can you tell me? And then also do some, you know, some additional research on your own. Um, and that just helps it feel like a more safe and inclusive space and a way that whoever they are, however they're expressing themselves, they're still loved and part of you, right? Part of your family, part of your social group, your community, and that they belong. So taking some time sometimes for self-reflection is also good. Um, we all have had really different experiences growing up and discovering our identities, our sexualities, um, what kind of family we want to form, you know, what kind of work we want to do, who we are as people, what our values are. And we start that process really in adolescence. Take a moment and remember that that's what the young people in your life are also just starting to engage with as well. Who am I? What do I want? What do I believe? What do I value? And that patience and that reflection helps kind of reduce that um, tendency maybe to kind of minimize or dismiss young people's experience, which can really cause some hurt feelings and harm if they especially want to talk to you about a really vulnerable topic like something like sexual orientation. So let's just engage in this as an ongoing mindful practice that all of us have some value in, right? We want to keep learning and growing for our whole lives. And that allows us to meet young people's experiences and questions with openness and care. And, you know, as I said, sexual orientation and gender identity are big topics for youth. Their, their bodies are changing, um, their identities are forming, they're kind of figuring out what is going on. So for all people, and especially young people, gender and sexuality can change and evolve over time. It might take you a while to fully understand sexual orientation. You know, your young person might not be exactly sure where they're at with all of it. And it's okay to just sort of say that. Like, it, this is a, a phase where you are figuring out yourself in all of its richness. And I am here for you. I'm here to listen and support you any place that you are on that journey. And it's normal. It's okay. These are the kinds of things we can say to help them feel supported. We can also, uh, as adults in their lives, be conscious of avoiding certain little traps, like, you know, assuming that everybody's straight. That's an easy one, I think. But, you know, when you start asking an adolescent, you know, oh, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like that? You're kind of potentially already putting them in a box, um, particularly if you're assuming heterosexual relationships. So um, if you have a relationship where you talk about those things and check in, one of the things I like to say is something like, is there anybody you're crushing on? And then you let them tell you yes or no, or who that person is. So there's some just easy little adjustments we can make um, that help 
help them feel like it's okay to say whatever they want to say and be whoever they are without us sort of pre-assuming that they fit into any particular category. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, if a young person comes to you and is saying something about maybe their identity or what they're thinking they, uh, you know, might be aligning with, that it's okay to be curious or to ask a question. We want to distinguish that between sort of interrogating. So, you know, as we heard from Jordan and Anna, we also don't want to like doubt somebody's identity or, or make them feel like nervous about continuing to express it. So we don't want to interrogate or what do you mean by that? Or, to, you know, but just have an attitude of open curiosity. Um, and I think that uh, oftentimes young people like getting to share what they're learning or who they are with you. So if you do that in a gentle, curious, open-hearted way, there's an even greater likelihood of, of your own relationship continuing to strengthen. And of course, getting more information when needed, right? <laughs> so um, if there's a phase of development that you aren't feeling totally prepared for, um, if a young person in your life is talking about ex an experience which you just have no <laughs> awareness around, uh, like I said, that's totally okay. Um, and there's a lot of resources out there to learn more. Um, the internet is a wild and crazy place, but it is also a source of um, wonderful resources and information. I also wanted to take a moment and talk a little bit about uh, coming out. So for some of us, some of our generations, coming out was a really big step, not just personally, but sort of politically. It was a way for folks, um, you know, starting in the 70s, 80s and into the 90s to really affirm that queer people belong in society and have always been part of society. And so coming out was a way to kind of take a strong statement about, um, you know, like the slogan from back in the day, um, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. <laughs> yeah. And that's a that's an important piece of activism for sure. And it isn't required. Right. So every individual gets to decide what they want to share about their identity and about their experience. Um, and young people for sure should not feel pressured in any way to say who they are. Um, they need to have the opportunity, the space and security to discover that for themselves and then choose who they share it with. So it can be kind of complicated and young people often feel pretty nervous about being accepted. And that's what I said at the top of the show, you know, we have work yet to be done. So while we have made a lot of progress um, in terms of LGBTQ rights, we still have work to be done. And we know that because we know that young people still worry, will they be accepted by friends and family? Are they safe? Um, will their faith community embrace them? You know, there's still a lot of those issues. There's still bullying that happens based on sexual orientation and gender identity, um, along with many other things. So those are still real concerns. Young People who are queer and coming out um, may also be worried about whether they'll find a partner. And yes, certainly as young people, maybe we all have some of those worries that we've experienced. But I think it is different when you are within this community um, because there are still prejudices. There are still um, some things to overcome in terms of full acceptance in our society. So, you know, if a young person is carrying around the question in their head of if I came out, would you support me? That just shows us how important it is that if they even start those conversations or come out to us, to really treat that with honor, to really appreciate the trust being shown to us and hold that gently and with a lot of care. It's possible, whether you're a parent or guardian or another adult in a young person's life, you may be the first person that they've come out to. Maybe not, but you might be, you don't know. So being supportive and really validating their feelings are really great ways to kind of keep that, that space safe and open. And 
you know, if appropriate, you can um, look for more resources to share with them. If, if, if you're a parent, that might mean, um, you know, are there some groups that I want to go get connected with so I can be a great, you know, supportive parent to my young person who's going through this experience? Some of our listeners out there are queer parents. So you probably know all about this and more and can offer a lot to the other parents in your world as well. So just being aware that um, this is a, a really tender moment for a lot of young people. It's, um, it's one that kind of can be very exciting and also a little bit scary. So if someone is opening up to us really at any stage in their life, but, but particularly thinking about young people, we want to just meet that with a lot of kindness, a lot of gentleness, a lot of acceptance and warmth so that we continue to support a community that really is for everyone. So there are some great resources I'll just mention really quick since we're on the topic. There's a great LGBTQIA plus group at the Amazon Community Center in Eugene, you can reach out to them to get the exact time and date. Transponder is a wonderful organization supporting um, trans folk and have been doing more work to support teens. There are a great number of gay straight alliances in a number of the schools. So that can be a great resource for teens who are looking to build some community. Um, of course, Ophelia's Place is a safe and welcoming and supportive place for queer girls of various kinds. And then, you know, we do have a Eugene Pride event. It's typically held in August. COVID, of course, has kind of upended a lot of things, but I keep your eyes peeled for more of those events. Um, one of the reasons I, I, I guess I want to pause here for a second, say pride, right? So pride is, is more than just a lot of rainbow flags and, you know, cool parades, right? Those are wonderful. But pride really came about because queer people did not feel welcome in society and really had to fight to be accepted, to have any kind of safety or protection or rights under the law, as well as just a lot of, you know, the social stigma. So while I said earlier that there's still some of that, um, and there very much is, it, there, it was worse, right? So, you know, pride and celebrating and having events and parades and things was such a courageous and vital part of reclaiming queer space within our larger community and our larger society. Pride is, is just a, a beautiful celebration, right? That we all belong. We're all part of the human family and we get to celebrate ourselves. So I also think it's really valuable and really beautiful because we do end up talking a lot about the struggles of the queer community over the years, right? Over the decades and the centuries. And that's an important part of history. And we don't want to put that, you know, behind us entirely. But I think such an important part of pride is the celebration of coming together, of forming community, of building each other up, of celebrating the resilience and the incredible diversity and wonder that is the human family, particularly within the, um, the queer context. When our, you know, when allies show up, so straight folks who um, are part of the, the larger uh, commitment to supporting freedom for all and inclusion for all and belonging for all that creates such a such an electric energy right i think that's why pride becomes such a, a beautiful over the top sometimes wonderful exciting experience whether it's parades or celebrations or festivals or whatever it is is because it's a, it's an opportunity to say we're here and we belong and we have a history and we have strength and we have fortitude and we are going to create a future continuing always to create a future where queer people are woven into the society in an accepting, loving way, the way they always should have been. So for me, um, uh, I think that this is just a, 
an exciting time to kind of share that with young people and help them understand the context of that, right? So it's not just kind of a rainbow party. There is actually a deep history uh, and there's a meaning to being able to come together in this way. And now that we see, you know, whole communities, cities, other places also uplifting for people, I think that's what gives us the hope that, right, that we are actually changing and creating a better future. A couple more points I'll just mention about kind of supporting the positive development of young people, particularly around, you know, their sexual identity, their sexual orientation and all of that is, you know, get, get clued into youth culture, right? <laughs> Learn about youth culture. Learn what they're watching and listening to. You know, I think that it can be easy to fall into, again, a trap of sort of dismissing or diminishing young people's interests. Um, and on the one hand, we really miss out on some great stuff. I mean, I only kind of discovered BTS this last year, the, the Korean pop band. And oh, my goodness, um, everyone should be listening to them. They're amazing. Uh, so, you know, what would have happened if I had just kind of, you know, rolled my eyes and not been willing to check it out? I would have missed out on some great music. So even from that regard, sort of selfishly, there's some wonderful stuff out there that young people are engaged in, excited about. Um, let's go learn about it. Right. And then also, if we care about young people, we want to listen in, right? Listen to what has meaning for them, not dismiss it and be curious about it and have a way to relate. So I think about things like representation. So when we're talking about LGBTQ plus representation, uh, I was kind of thinking quickly, you know, what if some of the, the girls that OP talked about over the last couple of years that had some of that? And I was thinking of some really great shows. So there's a couple of really fantastic um, animated shows. Shira. For those of you in, in my age range, we may remember the original She-Ra, which although pretty cool to have a female hero back in the 80s, let me just say this new She-Ra animated show on Netflix is fantastic. So much better. So great. And really one of the best things is wonderful female friendships, right? Um, and lots of representations of different body types and ethnicities and genders and sexual orientations in a just really playful, fun action adventure show. The Dragon Prince is another one, has some great representation and wonderful characters. Steven Universe, I'm sure some of you parents and guardians out there know all about Steven Universe. It's been quite popular with our, our tweens and teens for quite a while with good reason and lots of fun. What else? Oh, a couple of movies. If you haven't watched Moxie, please do. Um, this particular Gen Xer over here on the other end of the microphone was quite gratified to see some of those bands I listened to in the 90s uh, getting some love from a younger generation. It has a really great message about girl empowerment, girl solidarity, um, and definitely some great queer representation as well. Also, Booksmart, the movie that came out just a year or two ago. Um, Again, similar themes around girl friendships and uh, celebrating all the ways that we love each other. And then there's also a new show called Shadow and Bone that some of the girls have started to talk about. I will say this is a little bit older teen oriented, but has um, some wonderful, prominently featured queer characters um, shown in a really positive light. So those are some off the top of my head that young people are watching and interested in. And that really show us that in some ways, <laughs> they're pretty far ahead of where we are. They're really actively looking for and asking for stories that highlight the range of who we are. So that includes, includes LGBTQI plus 
characters. Um, it includes people of different races, people of different abilities and body types. So they're leading the chart and we should be paying attention because this is some great stuff in terms of building, again, that really more welcoming and whole community where all people belong. Okay, last couple of tips. I would say, you know, in terms of being how we want to be around these topics that maybe make us a little uncomfortable, you know, be honest, be transparent, keep it real. Our young people are are wise, right? And they're able to detect when we are not knowing what we're talking about, when we're avoiding a topic. So, you know, be mindful of that. Uh, I encourage the use of accurate terminology. So again, if you don't know the terminology, if some of the new terms around um, sexuality and gender are unfamiliar to you, just Google that stuff. You know, let's let's get up uh, and brush up on all of that. Make sure that you are current with what's going on. Taking that time, as I mentioned earlier, to self-reflect, make sure that we can kind of address any like little areas of discomfort we have um, so that we can be that positive and supportive and and just open space um, and person for the young person that's talking with us and recognize that, you know, we're still going to have biases. We're still going to have assumptions and we're still going to be a little bit uncomfortable with, you know, young people growing up, especially if they're your kids and that's okay. And let's look at that, right? Because they are going to grow up regardless. So let's make sure that um, young people feel safe talking with us, whether it's, you know, as parents, as providers, as teachers, um, so we can kind of check in and, and make sure that we're appropriate with them and not too uncomfortable with the, them becoming grownups. I always say that my best tools are humor and unshockability. So again, that's where that, you know, self-learning really helps because then you're kind of prepared and having a good sense of humor about it, right? That, uh, you know, they might test you. Young people have a lot of uh, uncertainty about how they'll be received if they're their full, whole selves. So the more that we can kind of be just accepting and have a good sense of humor and, and willing to even laugh at ourselves when we don't know the right terms or there's some new pronouns we're not familiar with or whatever. Um, and then, you know, have that humor with ourselves, but absolutely take seriously the requests and the the shares that they're bringing to us. So that kind of balance of keeping yourself centered, being willing to show that you don't know everything, all of those kinds of things are going to really help that feel like a, a, a better experience for everybody involved. And I would also say that particularly for our parents and guardians out there, it can be hard to know when to bring up certain things or when to ask the questions or, you know, and there's tons of resources out there about how to do some of this stuff with, uh, with your young person in terms of developmental appropriateness. But I'll give you just a couple of tips. One is Follow your young person's lead. You know, um, if you've got a good, solid relationship and good communication, in general, they'll talk to you about things when they're ready, right? So developmentally, you know, when they're ready, when it's something that's on their mind and they're thinking about it, they'll come to you with questions. You certainly can make sure that there's some, you know, basic (laughs) earlier childhood preparation. um, And there's uh, some Again, great resources out there for learning more about that. But particularly for our adolescents, you know, we don't want to barge in and sort of push something on them, but we want to make it really clear that when they're ready, we're available. We want to make sure that when they're talking, that we're keeping the focus on them and their feelings. We're not trying to like argue with them. We're not trying to like, you know, over explain things back to them. We just want to sit and hear what they have to say right? And be available. Um, We might even need to take a little space and kind of go, you know, after they've shared and and think, okay, what do I need to know now? Or what what do I need to learn in order to support my kiddo? 
But at the same time, I think just by being present and loving and open, um, you're supporting their development in terms of all of these these various parts of um, growing up, right? So I want to mention that we do have some groups that run through uh, Ophelia's Place. Um, typically, there's one called Girl Time Group which is for our younger girls, like our fifth to seventh grade-ish um, age. Uh, and then our What You Wish You Learned in Health class group that is for our 14 and up. And these um, include some of the stuff I've talked about, but it's just a safe place for young folks to come and form some community, ask some questions, um, get accurate information around all these various things. And of course, our queer space group, group which you heard about at the top of the hour. So please don't hesitate to, uh, to reach out to us if you want to know more about those groups. Uh, I do have a couple quick re- resources I want to share. They're ones that um, we've referred to <laughs> frequently over the years and also ones that in general girls will like. So there's a great book called Body Drama by Nancy Amanda Red. There's one called Deal With It, A Whole New Approach to Your Body, Brain and Life as a Girl by Rebecca Odes and Heather McDonald. There's a website called Scarlatine, scarlatine.com. Planned Parenthood has resources, and there is um, another organization called Respect Ed Peer Education. So respectedpeereducation.org, which was actually co-founded by a former OP girl. So shout out <laughs> for that. Um, and they do amazing work. And I would um, definitely suggest that you check out any of those resources to learn more. Yeah. So I want to wish everyone a happy pride. I hope you're out there enjoying the summer. and being part of creating this community of open, loving, youth-supporting, fabulous people that I know that we are. And I wanted to end with um, a poem that was shared with me anonymously by a participant in one of our workshops that I thought was such a beautiful, eloquent way to speak from the heart in terms of what it means to be a young person and discovering your identity. So here we go. I am a rough sketch, an unfinished identity, a wobbly line. My mistakes somewhat erased two different markers for my eyes. My half-inked heart longs to be filled. So I'm picking up a pen and choosing what's inside. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our wonderful guests. We look forward to being with you again next month. And just a quick reminder, if you want to learn more, check out our website at opheliasplace.net. You can learn about our great summer workshops, the therapy groups that you or your girl can register for now. Don't forget to follow us, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. And until next time, remember that empowered girls change the world.